0: Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 454 of the podcast and it's Friday 11th of October 2019 as I record this. So today I'm talking to Grant Faulkner about writing a novel in a month. Now Grant is the executive director of NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month, which is November and he's also a writer and we talk about why stories matter, especially in times that feel quite dark sometimes, let's face it, and how to get started writing fiction if you have only ever written non-fiction. And remember, we all have to start somewhere. How to find the time to write and make the most of that time. Accountability and how to manage your life during NaNoWriMo. And yes, I publicly commit to doing NaNoWriMo for my third Matt Walker book. I have done it twice before, 2009 for Stone of Fire and 2012 for Desecration. Both times I managed around 20,000 words um, but a good start and uh, because I'm a discovery writer and I think and I research as I write that may be where where I end up but I need to focus some time so and this year obviously I have dictation so it'll be interesting to see if I actually make the 50,000 but regardless it's good to put aside time for writing. So uh, maybe you'll be joining us for NaNoWriMo, maybe you won't, even if you are not going to. This is still an interesting uh, podcast if you want to write a novel. And in fact, if you want to write, uh, sorry, (laughs) if you want to have a laugh, (laughs) check out uh, the videos I did during my first NaNoWriMo, which is at thecreativepen.com forward slash first novel. I did videos every day that year and uh, it it was the first sort of uh, time I'd ever written fiction. I was learning so much. It's also very cringy looking back because I don't have the confidence that I have now. You can tell I'm a little bit scared of the audience. I'm scared of the camera. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I was living in Australia at the time and, uh, you know, it really was. It was 10 years ago uh, and there's some very bad lighting. My face, I don't know whether the makeup I was wearing was so bad. I mean, it's possible because I'm not very good at makeup. But anyway, those videos are quite funny, Uh, thecreativepen.com forward slash first novel. And even though I do cringe about those early videos, I also appreciate them because I know how far I've come. And uh, that is a good reason to document things in blogs and podcasts and stuff, because you really realise how far you've come. And even though there's the rest of our life to learn all this stuff, uh, it's good to reflect on that. So straight into my personal update this week, I have been doing lots of publishing tasks and uh, some very detailed backwards and forwards and little formatting and uh, very difficult, actually. Two books in German, almost ready. So the successful author mindset and successful self-publishing, both coming out in German in uh, in the next few weeks. Um, the ebooks are done. The print books are almost there. The proof copies have gone to my brilliant German consultant, publishing assistant slash editor, Anya. Uh, and it's Very frustrating because obviously when you don't speak a language and when I format my books in vellum, usually I can obviously see whether there's a spacing issue or Uh, a little typo you might have missed or this should be a subhead or you know how things should be but when you don't understand the language you just can't see it. So uh, it's been great having Anya to help me with all this. I've also worked with a whole load of beta readers um, who I will thank when I do the episode, special episode on German stuff once I've uh, got the books out, had a bit of a go at marketing etc. So I have definitely had a few frustrations this week. I don't like being out of control. And it's so funny because you think you go indie for control, but I actually found myself out of control because I don't understand the language. (laughs) So if you've been listening to the show for years, you will know that this is my second foray into the German market as an indie. I was early as ever. In 2014, I uh, put uh, a novel into the German market and just gave up in the end as there was no real way to market it. And I also licensed a book to a German publisher, again, another novel that didn't work, uh, Well, didn't sell much. So I pulled out of Of the German market, uh, bought out my translators, and now things have changed. So I'm trying again. So, one of the things that changed is, as I reported earlier this year, my sales in Germany in English have gone up a lot in the last year, which implies there's much more of a digital purchasing change in behavior, but also. Uh, I'm using DeepL, the translation engine, so I can get a first draft done very, very cheaply. Uh, It's absolutely incredible. It's about two euros, basically, to translate a whole book. And it takes about a minute. (laughs) Then, of course, you need the editing. You need the cover design. You need all the things you normally do. But it's still a lot cheaper. And as announced last week, and I'm sure you've heard by now, Amazon have now announced uh, ads in the German store, as well as the UK store, and of course they've been available in the US for a while now. So my intention, when I publish, which will be uh, beginning first couple of weeks of November, is the plan uh, is to go in Ku and to use Amazon ads because let's face it, there are ways to publish wide in Germany. The Tolino is the is the sort of the other e-reader, but I don't have any way to market effectively on other devices Um, whereas KU plus Amazon ads uh, is if in a language that is not your own (laughs) seems to be more of an effective way to market but my plan is to do that get some reviews on the books and then look at going wide in 2020 with Tolino, and I will get lots of ideas from the Frankfurt Book Fair, which I'm off to this week, and I'm be talking to a lot of indies there, and I will be uh, putting all of this together in a pod in a podcast episode on publishing uh, in translation again using obviously AI. Well, it will be AI first draft and also AI advertising because you know the Amazon ads you can use uh, auto targeting. So, very interesting times. Also, I've been recording Productivity for Authors as an audiobook that will be out in December. Uh, it is on pre order at the moment. And of course, you can get the ebook in the special NanoRimo bundle, storybundle.com forward slash nano. I also finished, I have been writing a lot, but it's funny, um, I've been writing things that, that won't necessarily turn into books. So, this uh, books and travel episode. About Australia. So, Books and Travel, my other podcast, which has interviews, but also travel memoir episodes that I do myself about my travels. And this has been a very challenging piece of writing. It ended up only being about 3,000 words, but I wrote a lot more. I dictated a lot. I edited a lot because it was very difficult to figure out what to say about Australia. (laughs) For a start, it's a really big country. uh, And the post or the article which is a podcast i perform <laughs> it has turned out more about my feelings about the place and what i learned and how things changed for me because of australia and i have positive things to say and i also have some negative things to say and uh, it's really difficult because i'm very used to doing this kind of thing this sort of helpful non-fiction useful tips upbeat uh, and then fiction which is I'm making it up. But you don't know whether it's real or not. Uh, and then memoir. So this this kind of travel memoir, very much I'm standing behind what I'm saying and it's, it's difficult. So if you're interested in that Australia episode that is on Books and Travel this week, 17th of October 2019. I also did uh, a podcast episode with Orna Ross this week on branding and intellectual property licensing and our challenging thoughts on uh, after the IP licensing fair. And you can find that on the Ask Ally podcast uh, or just search on your podcast app for Orna Ross, O-R-N-A, Ross, R-O-S-S. That is probably the easiest way to bring that up. And it's the advanced salon links in the show notes as ever. So I have, uh, this week, it has felt quite bitty. I've been doing all these things, preparing to basically take the rest of October away, uh, Frankfurt for the book fair, and then... Uh, back briefly and then Vegas for the business masterclass. And both of these events I know will be very intense for me. So I'm uh, starting to up my <laughs> vitamins for, to keep my my immune system going uh, with particularly the travel uh, can be difficult. Um, but this, I expect to learn a lot in the next few weeks. And as ever, I'll be sharing that with you. And uh, on the both of these things are about rights. So Frankfurt and also Vegas, we're talking about IP licensing. And Orna and I were talking about this. We're really reflecting on the fact that the journey, there is a journey of being an indie author. Uh, you know, when you start out, you're just trying to get a book out there maybe you just want to get an ebook on amazon maybe you just want a print book to hold in your hand and then you start realizing you have to do some marketing so that takes you down a certain route then you're writing more books and then you realize that there's a bigger world out there maybe you start to go wide maybe you try other formats maybe you might do a hardback you might get into audiobooks then you might then you start looking at foreign rights maybe licensing maybe translation Uh, You start looking at how do you market globally to other countries and then you start thinking much bigger about IP rights and about protecting your IP into the future Uh, and really thinking about estate management and stuff like that. (laughs) So I want that. That is the indie journey encapsulated. Uh, But, you know, if this is a career for you, if you're an author and this is your career, then that is a progression. That is a sort of career path. And there's lots to learn at each of those stages. And, uh, you know, you'll keep creating, but after creating, you're turning these things into intellectual property assets that you can exploit in different ways. And the more you learn about exploiting your intellectual property rights, the more money you're going to make. (laughs) Really, seriously, that's what it comes down to. Uh, And yes, it takes time to learn this stuff. I'm still learning this stuff. Um, Why I'm going to Vegas is because Dean Wesley Smith and Christine Catherine Rush, who are kind of my mentors in this space, they are still learning this stuff and they've been in publishing for like 30, 40 years. So yeah, I'm looking forward to telling you more about that. Uh, Also, oh yes, I wanted to recommend the Netflix documentary American Factory, which is uh, about a factory in Iowa, I think, which uh, basically got bought by, uh, well, got left by GM and all these people got laid off and then... um, uh, a Chinese company bought it and started retooling to make uh, glass for windscreen. And it's it's an excellent documentary. It's very, very good. Not just about the cultural differences between the US and China, but there's also a twist at the end that makes it clear what the future might look like. And it, I'm not going to tell you, but it's really thought provoking. It's a very good documentary. Whatever your political affiliation they did a very good job of this documentary because it's about the humans involved it i don't think it's political at all in that it you have you can have sympathies whatever side you're on uh and also whatever you think about the us or china <laughs> you feel sympathy for the people and uh it's very it's very good anyway so that's a uh, american factory on netflix So thanks as ever for your emails and tweets and comments on the show, which of course you can always find at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast or tweet me at thecreativepen. Uh, you can, uh, yes, also I'm reading some out. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. Uh, Tori Element says, an excellent episode today with Jules Horn. Thanks so much to both of you uh, on our audio episode. Kevin McGill says, love all of your talks on audio first. It's led me to revisit my middle grade audiobook, which is dramatised with a musical score and sound effects and released through Apple's podcast. Thinking of doing a re-release, what are your thoughts on dramatised audiobooks? Um, And this is a great question that Kevin has brought up here. And I guess Jules and I hinted a little bit towards the end of our episode last week. But There are so many possibilities for creating in an audio first environment. So what um, Kevin's talking here, so uh, has a middle grade book. So let's think about the words of a middle grade book. There are some words, but many um, kids' books, I guess this is, as you say, middle grade, but many books will have more images in for younger ages. And then with audio, yeah, how can you dramatise that even further? How can you make the learning environment even better? And it's not just uh, for kids, it's for everyone. I love uh, some of these full-cast drama audio books. I think they're brilliant. Um there's a spectrum. And again, I feel like where we are as indies is a bit like um, where we were with ebooks and print on demand, which is, uh, it's very easy to do a straight read audiobook at this point, you can do it, it's not that big a challenge, really. Um, And yes, I have a book coming (laughs) on that in 2020. Um, But to do a dramatized audiobook with music, with multiple voices, that is a big deal. That is a really big deal right now. And uh, I think this will change, as I've talked about with voice synth. Um, but getting different actors to do things, it can be very expensive. Doing music, you need a lot more technical skill to do that. So um, my thoughts on dramatised audiobooks are brilliant, they're amazing, uh, but not something I will be doing. <laughs> but if you have the skills or you can outsource the skills, then go for it. Uh, And then, oh, yes, I just wanted to give a shout out to Graham Downs, uh, who said, I never thought I'd enjoy a series as much as I'm enjoying the arcane books by the creative pen. (laughs) And it currently is on book six, Gates of Hell. And I I found this uh, an amusing tweet. Thank you, Graham, because it it kind of implies that he didn't think he was going to enjoy my books and then have discovered that he really does. So I appreciate that. (laughs) Oh, good. Right, today's show is sponsored by my own course on how to write a novel. Uh, And I do have a course on how to write a novel because it's one of those things that uh, I get asked all the time. So is it your dream to write a novel but you just don't know where to start? Have you started writing only to run out of ideas? Are you suffering from self-doubt about whether you're good enough to write a novel? Do you feel overwhelmed by all the information and craft books and extensive courses out there? If you've answered yes to any of these questions, this course is for you. I have taken the approach of the iceberg. Uh, you only need to know the bit at the top. You need to know a few specific things to write a novel. And yes, you can learn craft for the rest of your life. The rest of that iceberg, the 90% underwater. You can delve into those depths later on, but you have to get that first book done. Sometimes you can get drown yourself really in trying to learn too much. So the focus of the course and the private Facebook group is to get you to a finished draft and into editing. One happy uh, course member, Jim, says, the information is outstanding, laid out in the perfect order. It is a roadmap that takes you from self-doubt and confusion to typing the end. More than anything else, it gave me the knowledge and confidence to not only start my novel, but also finish it and then do it again. I'm about to start my third book that is now outlined and ready to go. All of this happened after I purchased and studied your course. Thank you, Jim. And uh, if you'd like to finally write your novel, check out thecreativepen.com forward slash learn, L-E-A-R-N, and that will take you to my courses. So this type of, I guess, sponsorship, <laughs> this kind of shout out for money, uh, pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time in creating the show is sponsored by my patrons. Thanks to everyone supporting the show on Patreon. Thanks to all of you who've been supporting for months and years. Uh, I love you all. And thanks to new patrons, Robert War, J.M. Hart, Lara Coates, Vanessa Blair-Siebert and Celine Bruant. I really do appreciate your support on Patreon, like the tweets and emails that demonstrates you enjoy the show and want it to continue. And of course, if you support the show, you get extra audio. You get uh, Q&A audio every month, which I will be recording soon, uh, in the next week for October. And uh, I talk about, I'm pretty personal in those shows, actually, because they are behind the scenes, behind a small paywall. (laughs) And if you support the show for just a couple of dollars a month or less than a coffee a month, uh, you can get access to the entire backlist. Support the show at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview with Grant. Grant Faulkner is the executive director of NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month. He's also a short story writer, novelist, and author of nonfiction, including Pep Talks for Writers, 52 Insights and Actions to Boost Your Creative Mojo. Welcome back to the show, Grant.
1: Hey, Joanna. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, it's great to have you back. So, You've been on the show before, so we're just going to dive straight into it. Right. Um And we're talking, you know, this is going to go out for NaNoWriMo, which is November every year. Now, one of the things that keeps coming up in conversations with people is, you know, writing fiction is an indulgence. You know, we're living <laughs> in difficult times, you know, whatever your politics, things are a bit crazy, you know, climate change, rise of AI and all this stuff. And people, people feel like maybe they should be doing something more important in inverted commas. So let's start, you know, why is story more important than ever?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think even in times that maybe aren't so dark or don't feel so dark, I think every fiction writer asks this question from time to time. Uh, because stories are sometimes seen as as trivial entertainment. I think you use the word indulge, um, and we can easily forget. You know, I mean, my, my thing is why it's important is that we are we are meaning making creatures, and the way we make meaning in the world is through through our stories. And we you know we understand who we are through our stories. We understand who others are through our stories. We understand the world through our stories. And we understand what the world can be through our stories. And, you know, it's been interesting to me how important novels, how you know, they're even more important now than they've ever been. You know, um, after the 2016 election here in the U.S., George Orwell's uh, 1984, which was published way back in 1949, was on bestseller lists for I don't know how long. It might still be on bestseller lists. And Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451 became newly relevant. Um, you know, think about how all the attention that Margaret Atwell's The Handmaid's Tale is getting and her new book, The Testaments. Um, so people, you know, they look for ways to understand the world and themselves in the world through stories. And, and beyond that, I think stories give us solace, whether it's a story that's so relevant as, as The Handmaid's Tale or if it's something that is just for entertainment. Entertainment's also really valuable. So, yeah, I, I, I always argue that stories are important and I hate uh, to hear people say they're not important. Or they're less important.
0: Mm. Yeah, and just a correction there, Margaret Atwood. Uh for anyone listening, I can hear all my listeners going, it's Margaret Atwood. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no. I'm sorry.
1: I'm so sorry. I, no, that's I, fine. I was... I'm
0: sure if she's listening, she won't mind. <laughs> but um I also <laughs> it's think early in it's... the
1: morning here. Yeah, no, worries. I'm just having my coffee.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um I also I think that as uh consumers of Story, we're in this, you know, everyone talks about this golden age. And I mean, certainly I'm we're binging a box set at the moment, uh, Designated Survivor, which is a sort of US sort of political show. And it's it's really good. And I like getting back into the story. But as writers, it's also about empathy, isn't it? About putting yourself in someone else's shoes can actually help us understand each other. And, you know, instead of ranting, um, or getting upset, sometimes putting our deepest feelings into story can actually help us um, sort of figure things out almost
1: yeah and that's what i mean like when i when i say we understand who others are through our stories uh, stories are really the best way to see the world through other people's eyes and and right now more than ever i think that's what we need in the world is to be able to understand other people we don't have to agree with them but it's but it's great to see how they see the world and to either um you know put our own opinions or our own sights sort of in question to have a counterpoint to it and also just to create a dialogue um you know i think the reason that people Think of the world as as dark uh, currently. It's it's largely because of the divisiveness of it and and the impossibility of having a conversation or any type of dialogue. And that's really what we need to have is a dialogue. And I think stories open up the door to that dialogue. And you know, you, no matter what your politics are a good story is going to resonate with you. And a good story is going to create a conversation, I think.
0: Oh, yeah. And we can all bond around Stranger Things. <laughs> yeah, Even <if> exactly.
1: We- <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are. Stranger Things is going to be good.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. OK, so I want to sort of wind it back to the idea of creativity as well, because Many authors, I mean, certainly I did NaNoWriMo back in 2009, uh, really helped kickstart my fiction writing. And a lot of writers start with nonfiction, and they feel like they're not creative. And ideas for stories might be difficult to find or or they might even be suppressed. I feel personally that I felt I was not creative. I could never write fiction because, you know, I'd been an IT consultant. I didn't have anything creative in me, but it was more that it was suppressed over years of, of work. So for somebody listening who feels like they are just not creative, how would, how would you recommend they get started with fiction?
1: Yeah, you know, I hear this so often when I talk to people about NaNoWriMo. I hear one of two things when I invite them to do it. One is I don't have the time, and two is I'm not a creative type or I'm not a writer. And I think what they're doing when they say that they're not a creative type is they're putting an unnecessary limit or obstacle in front of themselves. Because I believe that everyone is a creative type. Uh, you're a creative type by virtue of being human. That's what really defines us. And and, um, you know, one part of being a creative type is being a storyteller. And again, it's it's what I was saying earlier, is that we make meaning of the world through stories. And we answer the question, what if, through our stories. So I view, in NaNoWriMo, our mantra is, is that everyone has a story to tell and then everyone's story matters. And so I think you... You create yourself as a creative type by writing your story, by engaging with words. You are a writer uh, by because you write, not because you're published. And so, yeah, I, I like to counter that notion that when people say I'm not a creative type, I think they just they need to tell themselves that they are a creative type and then experience creativity, you know, to the hilt and, and prove it to themselves.
0: Mm. I actually think that, uh, I mean, my block personally came from feeling like the only type of story I should write, again, should in inverted commas, would be some kind of award winning literary fiction. And in fact, the books you mentioned before are all award winning literary fiction. <laughs> and I was really released from the block by feeling like, do you know what? I like reading thrillers like Dan Brown. So I'm going to write a thriller like Dan Brown. <laughs> so what, what? what's your feeling around this? We should write a certain thing. <laughs>
1: Well, I think uh, we should only write what we're passionate about and what interests you. And, you know, these, these books are also, you know, they all border the lines of dystopian fantasy and sci-fi. And there are plenty of uh, genre novels that inform our worlds in very deep ways and also entertain us and provide solace and all those good things about writing and reading. So, yeah, I think I think as writers, it's, it's easy to fall into that trap of the should. Um, like, I should be writing something commercial is another thing that people tell themselves, mm. or I should be writing something entirely original or I should be writing something literary, and really th- those shoulds I think tend to um, probably shut you down somewhat, shut down your creativity, kind of narrow your your view, and I think the best the best story is to pursue are the stories that are calling us, that really mean something to us, the things that we we wake up to and we're really excited to go write them. Or even if we're not excited, even if it's kind of painful and causes a lot of anguish, you still find meaning in it. You can't imagine your life without you know, being able to write that story. And so I, I generally don't like the word should in, in that context. I, I think we all have different styles of expression. And I think every genre in the world has produced great books and meaningful books. So the only should should you have, uh, you should write the story you want to.
0: Mm, I agree. Now, you also mentioned that when you talk to people, um, they will often say they don't have the time. So yeah. what do you answer to that?
1: Yeah, you know. I think there are occasions when some people just do not have the time. If you're a single mom working two jobs, you know, it's hard to squeeze in writing. Um, but at the same time, I think most of us, uh, we can create the time if we really think about how we use time in lo- in our lives. And so I, I always think of the story of Toni Morrison, who actually was a single mom with two kids uh, working in New York City uh, for a publishing house. And the way she wrote her first novel she, after doing everything she had to do in the day, she had about 15 minutes left before going to bed. And that was not like her, the prime moment for her creativity to sing. Uh, but she sat down and she wrote for 15 minutes a day uh, before going to bed. And that's how she she created her first novel. It was in 15 minute increments, you know, doing something, uh, small things like that every day, uh, they, they build up to big things eventually. And so I think um, most of us can find those 15 minute uh, nooks and crannies in our day to write, whether it's at our lunch break or the first thing when we wake up or at night. And that's the advice I give people for NaNoWriMo. I think it's really crucial. I mean, NaNoWriMo is one part, um, a sort of time management exploration. And I think we, we talk about all the kind of craft things that go into a good story, like how to write good dialogue or how to plot a novel. But one of the most important things to be a successful novelist is time management. It doesn't get the glory, but it's really true. And finding the time in your life to write And so to write, you know, essentially 1,700 words a day during National Novel Writing Month, you really have to excavate your life. And I do it every year uh, because my life changes. And what I I do what I call a time hunt. And we advise that our, our participants do this as well. And it's simply keeping track of how you use time for, say, a week. And, and really analyze in, in 15 minute increments or half hour increments like how you spend time how much on social media you can actually get software that does this too that helps but how much time do you spend on social media how much time do you spend uh, binge watching Netflix how much time do you spend um, you know cooking dinner even um, you know and, and and think about like where you can um, give things up where where can you open up time and I think most people can open up an hour to a day in their lives. And, and, and by doing that, you're, you're inviting in something that matters a lot to you, which is writing. And I think I just, I just see too many people say, I'm going to write that novel someday. And there are ways to make that happen today.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, I guess, you know, we should probably just uh, circle back and say, well, uh, for people who don't know NaNoWriMo, <laughs> yeah, I know. You've, you've told us a few things there, but just explain uh, the concept and how it works and how people get involved.
1: Yeah, I have this fault at this point that I assume everyone in the world knows what nanorimo <laughs> is. And so sometimes I just start thinking uh talking about it without explaining it. Um nanorimo is actually many things. Uh at, at its most basic, you know, definition, it's a, a challenge to write 50,000 words of a novel in 30 days during November. And we're a nonprofit and you can come to our website and sign up and you can just write 50,000 words on your own or you can join into the the nanorimo community. Uh, uh, which is a really vibrant, wonderful, encouraging community. And you can do that online through our forums. There are two million forums posts every year about every topic under the sun. Um, or you can uh, join in uh, in our local regions. We have a thousand volunteers around the world. And they organize these these wonderful writing events, which are, you know, they're one part accountability um uh kind of structures to make sure that you're still writing um and then, and then they they're largely about encouraging and providing like games and activities to to keep writing so they're full of like things like word sprints and word wars and so it's a, it's a way i think i think um writing uh, writers as like solitary writers is 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 um Overrated, I think. I think too many people think that writers are always solitary. Writers a co- writers writing in a community is a wonderful way to enhance your creativity and collaborate as well. So, um, and yeah, and then we're in a, a 1,200 libraries around the world as well, and we have a Young Writers Program where 100,000 kids and teens sign up to write novels, and we support 10,000 classrooms with free novel writing resources.
0: Yeah, I think it's brilliant. And um, I, it's so funny because I did it that year in 2009. I think I did it again in 2012. I just uh, oh. went to my account again today. And um, both times I only did around 20,000 words. But oh, I my. Yeah, it, well, exactly, <laughs> only. And people listening, when you say 50,000, it's so interesting in the indie community because when you started NaNoWriMo, like when it started, how many years ago was that?
1: So this is our 20th anniversary, and I didn't start it. Uh, Chris Beatty is the founder, and he started it in 1999 with 20 of his friends. It started out as a writing community.
0: Right, and for many people... Fifty thousand words is a lot, but in the indie community now, there are people who are writing a lot more than that. Like people, so isn't there someone who does that in a day, like the first day? There is every
1: <laughs> every year. I will hear stories of someone who does it in a day, and I honestly cannot imagine how that's possible. I know that I could not do it. No, um,
0: exactly. But that's and so
1: what... I think there there are people who just love in, indulging in the the sort of um, extremities of writing, just for the sake of experiencing that. Yeah. Um, and and I also hear of people who set their goal way beyond fifty thousand words like I'll, I'll talk to people who write 200,000 words in a month so yes.
0: and the other way what I was going to say is I don't feel like I failed NaNoWriMo no. um by doing 20,000 words what it did is I set aside that time and it's funny because this year so we're recording this in 2019 I think I'm gonna do NaNoWriMo again because Yay. the timing is right for the third book in my Matt Walker series and I'm like you know what if I could get a first draft you know a lot down that would be great so um I guess I'm committing to it as we good. talk
1: <laughs> good we're going to hold you accountable NaNoWriMo we're going to put you on Twitter and call you out and uh, make sure well this is the thing I was like
0: it. oh am I going to tell Grant yeah okay I'm going to do it because um I think you mentioned accountability you mentioned the encouragement you know I have a lot of author friends now I don't need NaNoWriMo for these things um but uh, it is a it's the energy involved drives you through and yeah. um you know, you can get on Twitter and there's a hashtag, you can go on the communities, you can go to, um, You know, if you go to a local cafe, there's probably going to be people in there.
1: (laughs) It's true. You know, and I want want to say two things. Well, one, on that note, yeah, there is something about feeling that the whole world is writing with you that is very galvanizing on those mornings that you might feel like giving up, you know, and yeah, if you open up Twitter and you see this whole stream of people uh, reporting their word count or encouraging other people, you know, when I see those stories about people coming, because sometimes people will write 20,000 words in the last week or the last few days because they're so dedicated to hitting 50,000. and I find that really inspiring and so that's a crucial part of the community is being inspired by others Um, and then also since you said you wrote Only twenty thousand words. Uh, We hear this a lot. I I can't tell you how many times I've heard uh, had people apologize to me for not hitting fifty (laughs) thousand words, and they've said I I only wrote ten thousand words, and and I just want to applaud that as a huge success. I mean, going back to the Toni Morrison story about building things through small increments, if you write ten thousand words a month, that's one hundred twenty thousand words a year. That's two good novel drafts. you know that 's something to celebrate if you wrote twenty thousand words like you did that 's two hundred and forty thousand words a, day, a year so what is that at least uh, four novels yeah. so that's that 's a yeah. tremendous amount of writing and you should never apologize for that so you showed up and you wrote and so that 's great
0: yes yeah, so so let 's assume then uh, some people listening are like okay you know we're gonna we 're going do it um, what are some of your tips for achieving that I mean you 've mentioned the time hunt. Uh, idea, mm-hmm. which I totally agree with. Um, and I, I'm already blocking out um, chunks of my calendar for for writing. So I in Google Calendar, I just block out time for yeah. for it in November. And it's just like, okay, well, I just have to maybe cancel a few other things or not say or say no to things to to make that time. But what, what are some other uh, ideas uh, from those who have hit the 50k in a month?
1: Yeah, I think it's a rare person who can just show up without any sort of time planning and just trust that the world's going to support them in writing a novel. So, yeah, starting with some good time management so that you're structuring things, as you mentioned, on your calendar. Uh, We we have an active uh, conversation or debate every year about whether it's best to plot or whether it's best to just show up and wing it, which is like, we call it pantsing or something in the middle, like planting, <laughs> uh, one part pantsing, one part plotting or planning. Uh, I am in the middle. I love being in the middle. That's just who I am. I think one part of that is knowing who you are. Some people are just pure pantsers and some people are extreme planners. And I think of NaNoWriMo as a, as an opportunity to experiment with those different creative processes. And I try to experiment, uh, every year I try to write a novel, not quite in the same way. And so I I think that is important to to, to refresh your, your notion of writing and to try new things because it's only a month. So if you're a pantser, try plotting one year. If you're a plotter, try pantsing one year. It's great to kind of experience those different types of creative processes. I do think though that a little bit of plotting or a little bit of thinking about your novel really helps with success. I think when you're just purely pantsing, it's very easy for most people to hit a wall after a few days or a week and then quit. And if you've Uh, For instance, I try to, I'm just going to be prescriptive with my own process, but I try to make sure I have my novel idea settled by early October and then to spend a few weeks letting it marinate and take notes and kind of write a sketch of an outline. I don't have a a, a, a outline per se, but I've got a sketch. I know the trajectory of it, and I can follow that and pursue the mystery of the novel. I think the community is really important. We find that the more the more people are engaged with our community, the more likely they are to hit fifty thousand words. And again, I think that's the accountability, that kind of a uh, friendly peer pressure. Also, the the coaching and encouragement you get from the community. You know, they say um, the best way to change your behavior is to announce it to the world. So if you want to quit smoking, you should post on Facebook that you want to quit smoking because then you will be accountable to that. And the same thing goes with novel writing. And then I think the the last thing is we see a lot of people that when they hit that tough spot in their novel, usually it's that muddy middle. Uh, If they start to get behind their word count, it's easy for them to get dispirited and quit. And I would advise people, do not quit, just like what I was saying earlier. If you can only hit 20,000 words, that's a huge achievement. Keep writing. Um, And and sometimes, as I was also saying, some people find this great, blessed second wind, and they just kind of gush their way to 50,000 words. So, So trust that the story's there. Trust that in pursuing it and showing up for it every day that you can find it and keep the words going
0: yeah i I agree with I mean I'm a, a panther I prefer discovery writer. I think discovery writer is a much better term um, oh, but good. I love that yeah, but I do think that at least understanding like um, if you're writing in a series like I'm writing book three in a series, I have my characters, I have my world, it's just the plot, so that to me is something that you know is easier to do. but if you're you know if you're listening and you've got nothing, all you need is a character in a setting with a problem. <laughs>
1: Right. I mean that's exactly. pretty much.
0: It's a place to start, right? The other exactly. thing I would and, say and, and um, then
1: just and, and then just punish your character. Just keep having more and more problems.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more and more bad things. Um the other thing I would say is I, you know, it's it's around 1700 words a day, right? Um yeah. and I am not someone who's going to do 1700 words a day it's more likely I would skip three days and then I might do um, I might dictate maybe 5,000 6,000 words in a couple of hours and then it might again be a couple of days more and then I might do it again so this is the other thing you know there are some people who love that regular you know like you said Toni Morrison right at the edges of the day is is a quote from her but for me it's more like binge writing it's kind Mm -hmm. of do other things do other things and then binge and do like a couple of hours Um, and dictation I would also say I think is the superpower if I make it this year it's because of dictation it's because I've really got into using dictation for first drafts and boy is it a good way to get word count
1: (laughs) yeah thank you for bringing that up because I do think that yeah NaNoWriMo again it's it's a way of finding the process that works for you and and sometimes our life does work best when we have you know when you binge write for on a weekend you know like, why not write 5,000 words on Saturday and and 10,000 on Sunday, you know, if if you need to. So that's a great tip.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so um, we've talked about a few things. <laughs> you have a chapter um, in the book, Pet Talks for Writers, which is a great book. I, I have it. I've had it since I oh, put you. it out. Uh, I bought it. I found it in a bookstore in America, actually, and, and jumped on it. Um, oh. it yeah, it's great. Um, if I ever meet you in person, I'll have to get you to sign it. <laughs>
1: We'll have to meet just for that reason. I'll I'll have you sign some of your books, too.
0: (laughs) Well, you have a chapter in the book called Embrace the Mess. And it's a a really good uh, title and chapter. So why is this such an important concept uh, during nano in particular?
1: Yeah, I think Nanowrimo is going to be a messy month. Uh, it might be messy on the page, and it might be messy off the page too. If you if you make time to write that much, and I think a big part of Nanowrimo is understanding your inner editor, uh, which means that perfectionist side of yourself, that side of yourself that likes to edit more than draft um and so and so yeah and and when you're writing a first draft at that pace it's likely to be pretty messy and so we uh coach people to ban their inner editor to do whatever they can to get rid of their inner editor and just let their you know words gush on the page um i think a novel is messy by definition of first drafts i think that Um, If we could look at the first drafts of our favorite authors, they would look very similar to ours, actually. And that's because no one really writes a pretty first draft. And so I think you just have to get in that mindset that you're going to revel in the mess and that you're going to experiment. I also think the, the wonderful things you, you call, it, you, what was the word you used for pantsing? Um, discovery, discovery writer. Discovery writing. And so, yeah, the first draft, even if you're an outliner, is still discovery writing. And so I think dis- discovery writing means that you're going to go down a lot of different paths. Some of them might not pan out. Some of them you're, you're going to cut, certainly, in revision. Um, but you need to have that mindset of experimentation. It's going to make the novel better. And I kind of think of it like fun- finger painting sometimes. Like like, why would you finger paint if you're going to try to stay tidy? You know, the joy of finger painting is getting in there and making a mess with your hands in the paint. And I think the same thing applies to novels.
0: Yeah, I agree. And also, I like the embrace the mess off the page, as in, you know, maybe you don't need to do the house cleaning yeah. for November. Well, I mean, yes, have a shower, but you know, you can relax <laughs> with some of it. Yeah.
1: (laughs) it's important to smell good. Um, but, but yeah, I I think being a writer, you know, sometimes you just, you just, people ask me all the time, how do you have time to write? Well, I the reason I have time to write is that I don't pay so much attention to the dishes. It's, it's, it's sad sometimes, but, um, you do have to let things go in order to honor that creative part of yourself sometimes.
0: Yeah. And of course, what I love about this, this is November. Um, of course, if you're listening to this at another point, you can always choose your month, but November comes around pretty quickly every year. Uh, and it's its only a month. So if, you month. Know, everyone can stop doing something for a month, right? To exactly. make a bit more time.
1: Exactly. Your dishes will still be there. <laughs> <laughs> they won't uh, or die. pay
0: your kid or something to, to yeah, do them. Yeah, <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah. There are other people. That is one key to NaNoWriMo uh, performance is getting other people to pick up the slack for you.
0: Yes, definitely. So another chapter in the book, uh, it's called Artistic Fevery" or the Art of Remixing. And I think this is something uh, that you come up against. In nano I certainly did when I was writing my first novel, which eventually became Stone of Fire. So I went, you know, this is the first novel I've ever written. I'm feeling really nervous. Um, I sit down, and uh, and all that's filling my head is Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code, and I'm like, oh. I'm just rewriting the Da Vinci Code. What's going on here? And this is not what I want to do. I want to be in homage to Dan Brown. But I I, mm-hmm. I I don't, and obviously I wasn't plagiarizing, but I was coming up with things. that I was like, oh, you know, has that been done before? Has this been done before? Is this just, you know, a, a thriller trope? They're hunting a an ancient relic. This sounds like something that's been done before. <laughs> so yeah. what are the, where is the balance between the established tropes of a genre and, I guess, being entirely original?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it is one that every writer has to grapple with and define for him or herself. And I don't know that there's a strict definition, but I do think that I I see a lot of writers um, hinder themselves by saying, oh, I'd like to write this story, but it's exactly like The Hunger Games or like Dan Brown. And I feel that you make it original, you're gonna put your imprint on the story through your telling of the story, even if it shares a lot of characteristics with the Hunger Games, for, for instance. Um, you know, I think if you gave me an outline of Frankenstein and told me to write a novel based on that outline, I know I wouldn't write anything close to Frankenstein. It would somehow be distinctly my own version and it might not even resemble Frankenstein. And so I think we're always creating in this cauldron of influences and we shouldn't worry too much about it. As you said, if you're not plagiarizing, then you're writing something, um, a, a new story, and and I think sometimes we give too much um, value to originality because there, you know, there's there's an old saying, you know, like uh, Joseph Campbell wrote his whole book, uh, The Hero's Journey, about this that that there's he he defined that there was one story essentially, and that every story is kind of the same story. A hero leaves his or her home, encounters other worlds, faces faces down opposing forces, and then then returns with uh, a power or something to bestow to his to his people, the people who he left behind. And that goes for stories like Buddha or Moses or Harry Potter or Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. So I guess I'm, I, I just think that you should, um, people shouldn't get hung up on originality. Uh, they should trust that by writing it, they will make it their own. Um, yeah. And that's that's all, you know, and if, <laughs> if, you, if you have some inclination to plagiarize, it will hopefully come out when your editor looks at it.
0: Yes. And um, we should just be clear, if people do- Don't understand plagiarism is copying and pasting actual text from other yeah. people's work it is i mean it's not the definition is not taking someone else's idea but if right. i did write you know a story that exactly followed dan brown's da vinci code then you know <laughs> that, w- yeah. that 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 would be crossing a line but i agree i mean most people build on what's been done before and i'm on book 11 of my arcane series which i started that first Nanoimo. so you know i've i've managed to make my own thriller series um out of that feeling so I just I wanted to acknowledge that feeling because a lot of people have it so I, w- I wanted to ask you what are some of the because obviously I'm an example of someone who did that first NaNoWriMo and has gone on what I've written like 17 novels at this point uh, 10 years later and a whole load of nonfiction as well but what are some of the other sort of uh, results of doing NaNoWriMo that you've seen?
1: Gosh, we've had so many people publish novels and so many bestsellers, and we have no true way of counting them. It's all self-reported, or we'll read about, you know, somebody mentioning Nanarimo in a in an interview. And so, you know, there's Marissa Meyer, who wrote Cinder and uh, all of her novels. She, she writes all of her novels either during November, or if her publishing schedule doesn't allow that, she'll write the first draft in 30 days. She keeps to that technique. Uh, so, so does Hugh Howey. Uh, with his, his you know, he wrote Wool during NaNoWriMo in 2009, a fascinating story. Uh, he credits NaNoWriMo with making him a writer. Erin uh, Morgenstern's coming out with her second novel. She wrote Night Circus during NaNoWriMo. No uh, way! Sarah... No, I
0: love that. Yeah.
1: Oh, you yeah. didn't know that? No. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I haven't read her new book yet, but I, I hear it's just as fantastic. Um, gosh, there's just so many. Uh, Rainbow Rowell wrote uh, Fangirl during NaNoWriMo. Uh, Elizabeth Acevedo, who won the National Book Award for The Poet X. Uh, she wrote her second novel uh, during Nanorama twenty thirteen and that just came out six years later. Um, so yeah, there's there are just so many stories. I can I can I can talk all day about Nanorama success stories. So I think per what you were saying that that there's a whole there is a, 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 and also in self-publishing, you know, especially like people who are, you know, writing a lot each month and publishing a lot each year. Uh, it, NaNoWriMo is part of that revolution of writing where people are doing it differently than they used to. I mean, this, so the whole serialization of of publication has come back since the 1900s, I think. or uh, Anyway, it was very trendy in the 1900s and it came back recently and a lot of people are doing that. And I think NaNoWriMo contributes to that trend as well.
0: Yes, absolutely. So let's talk about the inevitable criticism. Um, <laughs> many in the traditional industry consider NanoRimo to be churning out Uh-oh. unreadable Uh-oh. books. They, I mean, they can't even call them novels or, or books. Yeah. They call them, you know, things. But certainly the word churning is used, <laughs> unreadable is used. Um, so, what you know, what do you say to any people who are feeling like, you know, that quality issue? But also, what do people do no? November to make it better?
1: Yeah, I would say first, you know, we we don't, we've never made the claim that you're writing 50,000 words in one month leads to a publishable book book right away. We've heard these stories that I think are actually exaggerated. That that editors receive like loads and loads of manuscripts from NaNo- Nanowrimo writers on December one, and I, I don't think that's true because I've actually never talked to an Nanowrimo writer who has submitted their novel uh, so early. And we always advise people to revise their novels. We think the revision is very very important, and we have a whole program built around it in, in January. February we have a program called I Wrote a Novel Now What um, and we try to guide people through those next steps of revision and editing and publishing choices, too. There's so many publishing choices. There's so much to learn about how to publish your book. And so I don't think of it as churning. I think of NanaRimo as the first draft, the exploratory draft, the discovery draft. And then uh, there is so much more discovery to be done during revision. Um, and I do know that, the, like I was mentioning, the the trend, the serialization trend that obviously exists, I don't think those books are unreadable. There, Many of them are being purchased and read and so i think there's a there are a lot of different styles of reading and writing and the world needs to not look at them with a snobby lens um you know they're they're fulfilling people on some level both on the writing and the reading end so yeah i i I guess i just disagree that nanoramas producing bad books
0: yes and i'm sorry i'm sorry you always have to answer that question i know it must come up a lot
1: I like answering it, to tell you the truth, because I think it's a big misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because, you know, we say that, you know, allow yourself to write a crappy rough draft. And, and we're not emphasizing the crappiness of writing. We don't write, want people to be crappy writers. We just want them to be able to accept that the rough draft is crappy by definition, and they shouldn't get hung up on it. They've got to, like, go through that crappy rough draft to get to the, the more beautiful second or third draft.
0: Yeah, I agree. Now, I didn't uh, prep you for this question, so uh, I'm going to go for it anyway. But what I have recent I'm, I'm obsessed with AI at the moment. And oh. I have heard of NanoGenmo, which is essentially uh, in November, uh, software programmers are trying to write uh, a program that will generate a novel of 50,000 words in a month. And this year, we've had the release of GPT-2, which is a text, you know, a narrative generator, which is really interesting. So I wondered if you did have any thoughts on NanoGenMo, um, you know, or, or the AI GPT-2 stuff?
1: This is an entirely original question. I've never been asked this before, <laughs> so it's super fun. Especially because I don't know a whole lot about AI, but I have read about this. Uh, I think it's fascinating. I'm like, why not? You know, let's see, let's see where we can go with this. I, I have my doubts. I guess I think there's just such an, an emotional component that goes into writing a novel, and what we were saying earlier that you're you're seeing the world through somebody else's eyes. Uh, I don't know if we're there with AI or not, but I don't know that much about it. So I'm sure people in AI could 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 offer me great counter arguments. Uh, I just think it's another exciting uh, part of the way the world of writing is 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 going.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I would say, um, you know, if people listening, they're like, what is that? What are you talking about? I think that it can be used as good uh, writing prompts. So if you, if your brain is completely empty, plugging your last sentence into a tool like talktotransformer.com, which is based on the GPT-2 algorithms, uh, it will generate some stuff for you. And that might actually help you get over that um, hump. So yeah. I think that's a really interesting way that it might be used uh, as a creative tool. And that's how I think of AI. I, you know, we're using tools all the time. You and I are talking across Skype on computers, you know, on the internet. So we, we use tools. So, um, yeah, that, that's how I think.
1: I think so too. I think, you know, uh, like, just this morning during my writing session, i it's really interesting how often I will Google something in a two-hour block of writing. And, and, and part of it has that sort of prompt nature, even if I'm not using those Google searches as a prompt. And some of it is just information for my novel. And so it's interesting to me how my writing style and technology, how they have blended together in a lot of very good ways in general, I think. And so I think, like, all of these tools at our fingertips instead of – I mean, they're worth looking at with um, scrutiny, of course, but, but it's also worth looking at them in terms of how they can enhance our writing and our human experience.
0: Definitely, and uh, I'll be keeping an eye out on Nano Genmo. I think this this year might be the year. As I know that in the past, no one has managed this, but um, this could be the year when it happens because of this expansion of, of GPT two. So, very interesting times. Now, I want to ask you just one more question. We're almost out yeah. of time. But you can we thought- talk
1: about self driving cars and writing <laughs> a novel in a self driving car? <laughs> this is a this could be novel writing because uh, that'll solve some of the time management issues, especially oh. for.
0: I, I agree <laughs> with you. I do think the writing writing is going to take off uh, hugely, even yeah. more than it has. Every
1: second of your right.
0: Yeah, but I do want to ask you yeah, about um, this book you've recently co-written. It's called Brave the Page: A Young yeah. Writer's Guide to Telling Epic Stories. And I am very happily child-free, um, and I but I have nieces. Um, I actually have all nieces, lots and lots of nieces, no nephews. <laughs> and one of the most common questions I get asked is, how do we encourage young people? People to write especially you know what often happens it happened to me is they love stories and then their english literature teacher says you can't write that like i remember the the day my la- love of story got squashed was oh. i wrote about an, a very dark nightmare like i told a story that was very dark and they just said this just isn't appropriate write oh, no. something else and clearly i was just a, a horror loving teenager but so if a teacher or a parent or, you know, for how, how do we encourage young people, basically?
1: I think you basically just told the story. I think we have taught writing in a way that inhibits a lot of kids from taking joy or finding meaning in their writing. And I think one thing about our Nanowrimo, our, our Young Writers Program, the reason I always say it's successful is that we allow writing to be fun and meaningful. And part of that is just giving a kid, kids, a choice about what they want to write. So in your case, we would have celebrated you for writing that dark horror story. <laughs> uh, that would have been wonderful, you know. Um, and you, and that would have being celebrated like that, and getting, you know, um, tell, you know, people telling you that it was relevant and meaningful and fun and interesting, all those kinds of things. That makes you want to do it more. And I think the reason that we have a big impact on, on kids writing is because they learn the best way to learn anything is through your passions, right? To take joy in it. And so these kids get to write a novel, which is a huge thing. And they get to, to find a lot of meaning and have fun doing it and have fun doing it with other people in the classroom. <coughs> Excuse me. And That makes them more interested in language. It even makes them more interested in grammar and punctuation and some of the more boring sides of writing, I guess. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. Just have a look off. So, yeah, I think that that is everything. It's flipping your experience. Essentially, that's what we do. We we take everything that you described as negative and we try to focus on those positive aspects. And I think that's the way to get kids to write. And writing is more important than ever because uh, our world is created through our writing, whether it's on social media or email.
0: Yeah. And also just coming back on the AI and technology front, you know, I don't think we can even imagine what say a let's say a 9-year-old right now in 2019 we don't know what that 9-year-old is going to do for a job because we can't even imagine what that 10 years 20 year future is going to be but what we do know is that creativity and being able to self-direct your time and you know direct things like ais or robots or whatever that's always going to be useful whereas Learning some of the things, some other things, you know, that rule-based stuff might not be so useful. So, I I agree with you. I think this is so important. So, if people do have young, how do people find the Young Writers Program in particular?
1: Yeah, it's uh, you can find a little logo on our main website, or you can go to ywp.nanoramo.org, or just search for the Young Writers Program. And and uh, yeah, I, I entirely agree with you. I think um, there are there are also lessons beyond um, the, the writing lessons of writing a novel, you know, when you write a novel, kids, um, they learn grit and they learn determination and they learn how to achieve big things. And we hear that they apply that to other aspects of their schooling. So it has, Im- uh, importance beyond the novel itself.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. So where can people find you and your books and also <laughs> NaNoWriMo online?
1: I feel like just Google NaNoWriMo, Google me, uh, <laughs> google NaNoWriMo books uh yeah they're they're in Amazon and they're in all the usual places so if you google any of those things you'll it'll be one of the top results or the top result actually
0: brilliant well thanks so much for your time Grant that was great
1: absolutely thank you so much Joanna
0: So I hope you found the interview with Grant useful today, whether you're writing a novel in November or any time, you can start anytime. and now is in fact the best time to start. So seriously, writing my first novel changed my life and once you get the bug, you can't stop. So certainly consider Grant's tips, consider NaNoWriMo, whatever point you are in your journey. Uh, coming up this week, I have a little in between extra. And then next week, I'm talking to Michael Anderle about his journey from indie author to essentially running a massive creative empire with 600 plus books, many, many authors uh, in only a couple of years. And of course, those of you who know the 20 books to 50k ethos, um, and uh, many of you, I'm sure, in that group who have heard of that group, that Facebook group, um, and Michael started that basically with uh, Craig Martell. That group has been focused on writing fast and using Kindle Unlimited, KU, which has been very different to my own model of publishing and marketing and my global you know, wide approach. So I haven't been very involved in the 20 books to 50k because it's just not the way I do things. But it was very interesting when I found out that Michael is actually going wide. I mean, I said earlier this year, Michael went wide with audio uh, earlier on this year. And now Michael is going wide with his next whole series Uh, I wanted to have a chat with him (laughs) because this is a big shift in perspective and also his company has grown and they're doing interesting things with shared worlds. And we talk about IP, talk about intellectual property, because when you have a company that is that big, contracts and IP are really important things. So that is coming next week. Uh, To be honest, we still disagree about a lot of things, but in a very um, friendly way. I I can only disagree in a friendly way. That's just the way I am. (laughs) But uh, I think you'll find it an interesting discussion uh, between two people with quite different perspectives. So uh, stick around next week and uh, you can hear that. Happy writing. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful.